most of us would like to have and seek after. Now, it's pretty clear in our culture through gym memberships, sports arenas, and athletic uh, contests, or even the rise of Peloton systems that uh, you can get in-home or at-home gym systems. Now, while we're probably over-obsessed with physical strength, we would acknowledge it's something that we need. If nations don't have it, they fall. If leaders don't have it, they fail. If you don't have it personally in some degree, then personal health diminishes. And of course, if Christians don't have it, they lose heart. Of course, the strength we're talking about is not physical strength, although that's needed. It's good. We're talking about a strength that's absolutely essential. You can't do without as a Christian. And that's what Paul focuses our attention on this morning in this prayer, Ephesians 3.16, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might. So my title this morning is Stronger. Stronger. Are you stronger? Are you strong? And what is this strength about? This is Paul's Trinitarian prayer. He prays that the Father would grant this strength, that the agent of this strength would be the Spirit, and the power of this strength would terminate in Christ Jesus the Lord, which is in you, the hope of glory. He is our strength. But how do we tap into this? If it's so essential as a church, and I think, I'm assuming that all would agree that it is, without it, we simply are not a church. Without it, we simply can't be Christians. We need the outsourcing of strength that comes from another location through the person of Christ, but that Paul says is in us, in the inner man. So under this heading, we're going to have four phrases to speak about this strength. They'll all start with the word strength, and then the, the word that we'll look at will be beginning with a P, and they'll be joined with a preposition. Preposition. So here are the four ahead of time. Strength through prayer. Strength, not only through prayer, but with power. That's what the word might means, with power. Strength for perseverance, rooted and grounded. Strength in passion. What is that? Let's look at these four in this text. First, strength through prayer. Prayer. Paul says in verse 13, I desire the church that you faint not, that you don't lose heart, that you don't lose your strength. At my tribulations for you, which is your glory. Paul is an apostle for the Gentiles. He's in prison when he writes this for preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, which means his tribulations is for them and their glory because God made Paul an apostle to bring the gospel of glory to the church at Ephesus and to you. So his tribulation for the church is for our glory. That's how we got the gospel, through Paul and the apostles, preaching it and writing it so that you have it in your lap on your phone today. For this cause, Paul bows his knees to the Father and he prays. Now, In my search in the New Testament, this is the only time I find Paul saying that about himself. I admit I didn't spend days and weeks looking, just computer program kind of typed it out and couldn't find it. Now you will find Luke saying that Paul bowed his knees along with others, but I couldn't find a place where Paul said, 
I'm bowing my knees. Now, if you find it, maybe there, you can let me know afterwards. Three possible reasons. First, he wants to, to tell us that he is praying. He doesn't use the word prayer in this prayer, so maybe he wants to clue us in, hey, I'm praying because I'm bowed. Maybe. Secondly, he wants to tell us the literal posture that he often takes in prayer. Now, it could be he's using this figuratively, but I think that Paul really got on his knees in prayer. He did in Acts 20 and 21. So it could be that Paul's letting us know that routinely, although not necessarily, not that you have to, if you ever pray driving the car, you don't bow your head, get on your knees, you keep your eyes open, and you're upright. And that is prayer that can be acceptable to God. So maybe he's saying, listen, uh, I often take the posture of just really getting on my knees. He could be saying that. He did do that. But I think the third is more likely. He is telling us the posture of his heart and the posture that we must have in our hearts if we are to be stronger. And what is this posture? It's the posture of humility. See, faith expresses itself in humility. See, Paul in this prayer is bridging the gap between orthodoxy, the study of theology and doctrine in the first three chapters, and orthopraxy, conduct. And what's the first thing he says when he bridges the gap with this prayer in chapter 4, verse 2? With all lowliness. It is essential for us, if we are to be stronger, if we're to be strengthened with might by His Spirit in the inner man, that it flows through lowliness. The word humility means to be made or to be brought low. How does that happen? Well, a worm feels pretty big next to an ant, doesn't it? Until a lion or a tiger walks up. See, it's by reference. You can feel pretty big about yourself until you come into the presence of a mighty God. And so we are made low, we're brought low with the reference point of the highness of God. Now humility, although in the Bible we're commanded over and over to humble ourselves, is not simply something you can do alone. Humility is a proper response to something God is doing or saying to you in your life. He always takes the divine initiative to humble people, and through His divine initiative, we are to respond with lowliness. That means you can bow up or bow down. Now, in the text that was just read for our scripture reading, at the dedication of Solomon's temple, God responded to his prayer and all those sacrifices with saying, if I shut up heavens that there be no rain, and if I command the locust to devour the land, and when he does, they obey, or if I send pestilence among my people. If my people, who are called by my name, shall humble themselves. All right, that's an act that we do. In response to what? God's providence, which is aiming at your humility. If he sends locusts to devour the land, if he shuts up heaven that there's no rain and there's no food, and if he sends the plague of death, we are helpless. We are bankrupt. We are destitute. We are desperate. And that's just what humility is. 
So if we become humble under the mighty hand of God, and what do we do? We pray. Somebody says, what does humility look like? I say, what does humility sound like? It sounds like bowing your knee to the Father and praying for that which you cannot do without Him. Without prayer, we are an anemic church who do not have the red blood cells of prayer that give us energy and strength to be the kind of church God calls us to be. Now, it's not always that providence humbles us because there's sin involved. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves, pray, seek my face, and what? Turn from their wicked works. God humbles us because of sin, but He humbles us in sanctification. So in either way, it may be sin, it may not be. We are to humble ourselves in response to the mighty hand of God that moves in pandemics or plagues or persecution. Through prayer is one way we respond. Every Sunday, we are coming before God with one of two responses to His voice. We bow up or bow down. You remember Pharaoh bowed up. Who is the Lord that I should obey Him? I know not the Lord, neither will I obey His voice. He bowed up, and then God what? Bowed Him down in a way that you don't want to bow down, but all men will. Every time you open God's Word, every time you hear a sermon, God is taking the divine initiative to bring you His voice that you can respond with bowing up, in rejection, are bowing down in humble obedience that comes from faith. Every time. Now what's I got to do with this prayer? Because God also takes the divine initiative to humble us through the community called church. See, Paul is making this prayer on the basis of this cause. He would say in verse 14, what cause is he bowing his knees? The cause of God's purpose in the church, which he's been unfolding through the first three chapters, which he calls the mystery, which was hidden in ages past, but is now made known by his holy apostles and prophets. Verse 5, chapter 3. What mystery? That the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of the promise of Christ through the gospel. That's why Paul is a minister. That's why he preaches the unsearchable riches of Christ. That's why he wants to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery. To the intent that now, right here, right now, in Huntsville, Alabama, in this church, that unto principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by means of the church the manifold wisdom of God. Now why does that take humility? Do you know what the word Gentiles mean? Ethnicity. Ethnicity is a group of people that has distinctives of culture, music, food, dress, language. And those distinctives always do what? Separate people. Christ, by His blood, has broken down the middle wall, the partition of separation. And now God is calling out of the nations people that have hated one another like Jews and Gentiles and nations from nations and He's bringing them into the same body 
For what purpose? To put on display the multifaceted wisdom of the glory of God. Now that's going to take some real deep humility, right? Now if we were to put together a church that we wanted to put together, it would look like me or it would look like you, right? You'd gather all the people that you like to be around because strangely we like to be around people that are like us. And they would look like us, they would dress like us, they would act like us, they would be like us. And anybody else is just plainly awkward. Do you ever feel awkward with anybody in this church? See, we try to put together a church, it'll probably be the church of the unconverted because men put it together. But when God puts together a church, He decides who is in the body of Christ. By the divine decree of election and by effectually calling people by the gospel to be partakers of His promise in Christ, so people come together in the same body and we don't look alike, we don't act alike, and we don't even like the same things. And sometimes that's awkward. And so the reason Paul is bowing in humility and praying is because he knows people are coming from different groups who have hated each other to be part of a common purpose, a new community with a new identity, with a new Savior as new creatures in Christ for a new purpose that God has revealed to make known His manifold wisdom through a church that's to live together. That is going to take some deep humility. So Paul gets on his knees, and we should too. It's because of the purpose of God. And he often humbles us through bringing conflicts and disagreements and difficulties into the life of the church in which we are to endure and to continue and to be what God calls us to be. That's going to take listening to his voice and humbling ourselves to participate in the life of the church that he's putting together that He's called out of darkness into light, that He is using to display not our wisdom but His own, the wisdom of people being together that otherwise should never, ever be together because it's just so awkward. But what joins us together is the blood of Christ, isn't it? Another reason this humility is acquired and it it gets harder is that God actually expects us to speak truth to each other, Ephesians 4.15. That is going to require some deep humility. See, I speak truth into your life, you speak truth into my life, and I'm accountable. If there's ever a text about accountability, it's Ephesians 4.15. What does that mean? Accountability is an obligation and a willingness to accept responsibility. For what? For speaking truth and listening to it. So when you speak to me, I've got one of two responses. I can bow up or bow down. I wish I could tell you I never have bowed up, but frankly, you know that I have and I do. What, what do you mean asking me where I was because I haven't been here for a month at church? What, what's, what's up with you? Brother, I, I, can I help you? I'm concerned. I'm praying for you. You don't have any right to speak into my life. God who's called you out of darkness into the light, has now brought together a church of people that would otherwise not be together to display His wisdom through speaking truth to one another. That's uncomfortable. That's not easy. That requires bowing down in deep humility to God. Because you know what? I know something about you. You know something about me. I really don't like it when you tell me something that's true 
Maybe that's amiss in my life. Maybe that needs to change in my life. Maybe to encourage me. Maybe all the ways in the Bible we're told to encourage, exhort, to speak truth. That requires a life together. That requires humility. We need to be brought low by hearing the voice of God, which His voice says, listen, this is my plan, it's not yours. And if you're on my program, the strength you need comes through humility because somebody is going to tell you something true. And, and I'm telling you, says the Lord, I want you to listen because you're listening to my voice. Now, of course, that presupposes we're talking about the truth of the Word, not what I think you ought to invest your money in or how you ought to do this or that. It's, it's the truth of the gospel of the Word. Now, it gets even harder. See, we need humility to have this strength because when the strength comes through humility, we submit to one another. I mean, goodness, what is going on? Ephesians 5.18, when you're filled with the Spirit, then you are speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, making melody in your heart to the Lord. You're giving thanks for all things unto God the Father, through our Lord Jesus Christ, and you're submitting yourselves one to another. Now that's accountability. That, that's such a bad word, isn't it? It's just, just terrible. But you call on the government to be accountable. Don't you? You want them to say how they spend the money, what they're doing. If they do something wrong, you want them to give account. It's just, just good. Isn't it good policy? Yet here in the church, you, you don't want to be accountable. I don't want to be accountable. There's something in us called the flesh that says, hey, thank you, but I'll live my life in my own terms. A little church is okay, but God says when we're filled with the Spirit, and if we're filled with the Spirit, surely we're being strengthened by might with His Spirit, which then works itself out in a submission to one another. So we all come in the church with our different roles and we're all submitting in some way to one another. And then Paul unpacks the relationship of marriage, family, church life, work. See, our submission is in the Lord. And the power of the Spirit comes through bended knee as we're seeking the Lord through prayer and He hears the sound of humility which is prayer and need and bankruptcy and desperation because we look at this and we say, this just not any way. And so Paul says what? Now to him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you ask or think according to power. What is that power? Stronger. What is that strength? The Spirit works through humility as we bow instead of bow up to the voice of God, whether providence acknowledging His sovereignty over us and not speaking wrongly about God in it, or His voice when the Word comes and says, listen, I want you to be submissive in the church. I want you to speak truth and hear truth so that it will help you not be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Now that's a picture of what? Weakness! But strength is stability, like a tree rooted or a building founded on a rock. That's the imagery of Paul. Number two, strengthened with power. So, this whole family in heaven and earth is named, which I take that to be not just universal family, big C, capital C, universal church, but local churches. As they bow together in prayer, this strength comes... For what cause? That He would grant you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with power 
Might is the word power by His Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ is dwelling by faith. So we're strengthened with power. What is this power? And how do we come into its possession? And if we do, when we do, what is that about? How would I know I have this power? This power, you can't look in the mirror and flex. It's not how you see it. But there is a way to see it. Now, this statement, strengthened with might, goes back and grasp according to the riches of His glory, and then expresses itself, Christ dwelling in you. Okay? Paul connects these two, at least the riches of His glory, more clearly in his prayer in Colossians 1.11, which is a synonymous prayer where he says, Strengthen with all might according to His glorious power. So this power that we desperately need is going to flow in a certain pathway for a certain purpose, and it will express itself in a certain way, just like physical strength flows in the pathway of gym membership, Peloton, or home gym, whatever you have, and the expression of that physical strength in that pathway is biceps, I don't know, what do they call it, six-pack in the stomach, ripped stomach. So what's the pathway? The pathway of power is riches of glory. What does that mean? Recently, a manager of a food restaurant was fired. She was fired because it appeared she was a bit frustrated for people not coming to work for all kinds of reasons. So she made some statement on social media that if your dog dies, still come to work. In other words, whatever the reason, come and prove it. Bring the dead dog and let me see it. Well, they fired her, and here's the reason. Her message does not align with the values of our company. This power must align with the values of God's company policy, the policy of the church. What is it? Riches of glory. What does that mean? Riches is just a collection, an amass, an abundance, a fullness of something with great value, like money, gold, land, possessions. God has an abundance of something infinitely valued called glory. And when this power comes, it must be. It must be in the pathway of what God values, which is His glory, or the church is what? Shut down. Now, I won't, I won't say fired. That's a bit terminal. <laughs> That's a bit final. But it, the strength is gone. All right, if that's... The power we need, the power of glory, so that the might will come. What is the pathway that this power travels in that glorifies God? It's the pathway of Christ in you by faith. The only instrument, the only pathway by which this strength comes is a pathway that magnifies the sufficiency of God's glory and really shows the wealth of His name. And that's faith alone. Because faith alone exalts Christ alone. And what does it do to you? It puts you back down on your knee. Through bankruptcy, the rich man who provides the wealth looks really good, doesn't he? This church will never have an ounce of strength apart from faith through prayer. 
That's why we must be bowing our knees to the Father. Now listen to how Paul will say this again in his prayer in Colossians 1, 9-11. It's not the same wording, but he's on the same track. If you just compare some of the words. He would say, For this cause, since the day I heard it, of your love in the Spirit, your power in the Spirit, your strength in the Spirit, since I heard about that through the Gospel, I cease not to pray for you and desire that you be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, so that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. All right? Now, what is it that gives pleasure about your walk? It's not that you are worthy or deserving. It's that you walk by faith. Now, that connects us with Paul's prayer in Ephesians 3, right? Christ is dwelling in your heart by faith, which means we're walking worthy of Christ when we're pleasing God, which Hebrews eleven six 6 says what? Without faith, you cannot. It's impossible. You will never please God. So that text alone, Hebrews 11, says that when we're walking worthy, we're trusting God. Now, how does that magnify God? Because you're showing how great, how trustworthy, how valuable, how reliable, how faithful, how magnificent He is through your reliance and your dependence upon Him alone for the strength and for all that we are as a church. Christ in you by faith is consistent with the glory of God because faith magnifies the infinite worth of God by showing you to be what you are, low, weak, But through you, His strength is perfected through weakness. And that's what we'll learn at some point. We'll go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 12 in our study of that letter. Okay, then how do you see that? How is God's worth magnified, the riches of the glory, magnified through strength when Christ is living by faith? Next line to the prayer of Paul in Colossians. Being fruitful in every good work. There it is. See, faith, first of all, means I simply believe what God has said. I I bank my whole life, my marriage, my family, the church I'm part of, the work I do, I'm banking on what He said. And if it's not true, I'm backing off of what He said. See, you're going to live in one of those two ways. You will magnify the sufficiency and the greatness of God when you do all kinds of good works because you demonstrate His worthiness. You could be spending all your time living for self alone. But by faith in the Son of God, you give time also for what? Good deeds. All kinds. God doesn't put us in a box there. Just somebody needs food, go do it. Somebody needs a good word of comfort, go give it. You can't do that when you don't have this strength. You know why? Because you're living for self. I don't have time to do it. I got all my money's for myself. All my time is for me. All my life is lived for my own glory. I don't have time for that. Then you're so weak. You may have the biggest biceps. I know I'm speaking illustrations for men. Some of you women pump iron, maybe. 
You may have the biggest biceps in the universe, but you're weak. We are pathetically weak without Christ. And so we walk worthy. We please Him because we we display the wisdom of His glory and His greatness through good deeds because Christ is living through us to produce those good deeds by faith. By faith. Increasing in the knowledge of God. So the knowledge of the will of God and the knowledge of God is the soil that faith dives deep into. The riches of it. And then out of that rich soil of knowing God and His will comes good deeds. That Matthew 5.16 says what? Glorifies God the Father. See, Particularly, and even more so, when things get really bad in a culture, right? Good deeds magnify God all the time, but they become more clearly to the glory of God when there's hardships, hard times, hardness, or as Paul says, tribulation. And the church will have its times of tribulation. What are we to do? Tap into the power of this strength. That's consistent. It's aligned with God's church policy that He gets the glory. And that's what we want, isn't it? Because it's Christ living in us by faith that magnifies. It it highlights the power of God through deeds and fruit that magnify His name. And then what does Paul say in Colossians 1.11? Strengthened with might. There it is. That just kind of captures all that he said. What is this strength with might? When by faith we're living in the Word of God and we're trusting God's promises of our future and today that it releases us and frees us for sacrificial acts of good deeds without this power. You know what I'm going to do? Live for myself. You know what I still struggle with? Living for myself. Oh, church, we desperately need this power. We need this power. Now, this power for doing good deeds is also the power that helps us resist the devil. Now get this, in the same book, Ephesians 6.10, Paul mentions the same power, not the same words in the original. Be strong in the Lord, be stronger, be strengthened in the power of His might. Or be strong in the Lord in the power of His might. I think that's what, well... Why don't I just read it? Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. That was right. Well, how? Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes and wiles of the devil. Because we are not wrestling with one another in this church. Sometimes it works itself out that way. I know. I've, I've been in some wrestling matches that I had to repent of. We're not wrestling with flesh and blood, but against principalities against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in very high places. I did the word very, but high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand. And having done all, stand. Then he starts to highlight the armor. Let's focus on one because we're talking about faith. Above all, taking the shield of faith so that you may be able to quench, extinguish all the fiery darts of the wicked who is the wicked one. Now, why do you, why do you light an arrow you know, in, in war? 
You don't do it to kill the enemy. Did you know that? If you want to kill the enemy, you leave the fire off and rain down arrows on them. And wipe them out. No, you use fiery arrows to start burning things on the other side of the wall. And then what happens? People on the wall are distracted and become vulnerable, putting out the fire. And they leave the wall. And Satan comes in. Yes, fiery darts can be temptation and lust, but fiery darts are all your distractions that keep you from the purpose of God's church. I wish I could say I don't have any. All the ways you're distracted make you vulnerable for the attack of Satan. Even distractions that are not evil in and of themselves, but you're just so distracted and the wall of the fence is lowered and we become once again anemic because we're distracted from the red blood cells of God's Word for which faith feeds, which then empowers us with this strength to give God glory because we're distracted like you are right now. Some of you probably maybe haven't listened to a word I've said or that God has said from the outset. Maybe, maybe not. And sometimes it's just kind of hard, isn't it? Something comes in your head, you hear something I say, and you start thinking about the rest of the Bible. I'd encourage you not to do that. See, that's your sermon. This is the one God's delivering. If you want to preach, come talk to me, and we'll see about that. If you're a man, see, God wants you thinking about what He's prepared for you today. All the distractions, see, The thorny ground soil, which I think is part of the instrument of Satan because Satan snatches the word. Then you have stony ground soil, thorny ground soil, is those that hear the word and what? The cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the lust of other things distract them. And the word is suffocated. Now, if the word is suffocated in your life, what happens to your faith? It weakens. And then what? You're not stronger. You're weaker. Weaker in the wrong kind of way to be weak. Then you become strong in yourself because you're distracted. Anxieties and cares for having the wrong treasure. The deceitfulness for riches because you think it's going to make you happy. And just desire for everything else. Again, some can be good, good distractions. We have to live and do things God calls us to, but we're distracted from the word of strength. So we are not doing all kinds of good deeds. And what? We're not giving God glory. See, beloved, this just highlights our need for prayer, our need for God. Who has not been distracted here? All of us are so easily distracted. And God is calling us to life in the church because there's no other place where His glory will be manifested like it will through the church. Just write that down. No other place. Local outpost of God's new covenant all over the planet is to be giving Him glory. We need strength to guard against the distractions of the devil. Yes, the temptations and distractions, which are temptations, And we need strength from the Word that we may do the good deeds because the distractions keep us from God's purpose of displaying wisdom through the church. That's you. 
how is your commitment to church life? In all the ways that we try to do church, discipleship, fellowship groups, prayer, exhortation, preaching, all that we do, are you distracted? Have you got something more important you need to do? What's more important than God's glory through your weakness, which produces strength? Oh, may God help us. Do we not feel the need for prayer right now? I feel it acutely. All right next, strengthened for perseverance. Now, at the end of this, I should have told you at the beginning of this, I'm sorry, you should be able to put a purpose statement together for this church from this prayer. I did it. Now, I'll, I'll warn you, it's a grammatical, terrible grammatical thing that I wrote. I just started writing out which came to mind with each point. Now, I want to challenge you to do that. If you take notes, go back, find a purpose statement out of Paul's prayer for the church and what this strength is doing and why we need it. So Paul is connecting all these dots with so that, that, he uses that more than once, which then brings us to the next (laughs) way that we are stronger in chapter 3. That He would grant you, according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with might by His Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, so that you all, being rooted and grounded. This strength is for perseverance. That's the picture. We see a picture of stability, don't we? A tree that's rooted doesn't do what? It doesn't faint. Doesn't quit, doesn't break. Bends, maybe bends all the way to almost horizontal, but the roots keep it stable, keep it going. Or like a building, he mixes metaphors here. I'm taking that to be mixed because grounded is foundation. Like a foundation which sinks deep below the soil, which provides stability for the building, keeps it even during an earthquake or strong winds so that it stands clearly. The imagery that Paul wants us to see is that when you are in possession of this power, increasingly, and Christ is dwelling in your hearts by faith, you are being stable. You just keep coming to church, even when it's hard. You just keep praying with tears streaming down your face. You just keep going. Why? Because of His strength. See? Now what happens when we lose this strength? We look away from the promises. We're distracted by the devil. You start to get weary, weak, and you start to quit. You lose heart. Have you ever lost heart? To be discouraged, disheartened? Turn your eyes to Christ. And stay with the body. It has its issues. It has its struggles. It has its awkwardness. It has its failures. But it's Christ's church. And it's His body. And so God aims to bring this strength to you individually and collectively. That's His plan. You will never have as much strength isolated from the body as you do through the body. Because that's God's plan. Yeah, if you're a Christian, you can... Find some strength, but not like 
God aims for it to be in, in the ecclesia, in the church. Now we talk about perseverance. It's a two-sided coin. On the one side, it's, it's God. It's this strength that does it, right? He that begun a good work in you shall perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. He, he's not going to stop bringing you this strength. Yes, it has its avenue and pathway of faith, but even if you fail, He'll not fail you. Isn't that good news? You ever failed? You ever look back and say, I just failed in being a Christian, being what I should be in the church. Well, God didn't fail you, but you're here. You're still trusting Jesus. That's what Paul is alluding to in chapter 1 when he talks about the sealing of the Spirit in verse 13, which he says, You were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance, until... How long? The redemption of the purchased possession. You've been purchased by the blood of Christ. The Spirit is permanent until you reach heaven's shores safely. That's good news. That's one side of the coin. You will persevere. But here's your side of the coin. Persevere. If He has begun a good work in you by working in you, both to will and to do His good pleasure, how do you express that? You work out. You work out your own salvation. When you stop working, God has stopped working. When you keep working, it's proof that God is in you, the Holy Spirit, and He's continuing the work. And what does that work look like? A tree, a building, stable. We live in a society that's not prone to that. In fact, every time you're frustrated with the traffic jam and construction, we only show... This is just not natural to me. We think it is. I'm a pretty stable person. Wait, you're in a traffic jam. What comes out of your mouth? You're just so impatient. I am too at times. No, this does not come natural. This comes by the Spirit. And when He strengthens us, it's like a tree planted or a building founded. And it was founded upon a rock. The rains descend and the floods come and it doesn't Tear the house apart because it's founded upon a rock called Christ. So Paul tells Timothy, Therefore, my son, be strong in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we're talking about, isn't it? We're strengthened by the Spirit. Grace is coming to empower. And then what does he say to him in verse 3, 2 Timothy chapter 2? One, be strong in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Two, thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Endure hardness, hard people, hard things, hardships that Paul calls tribulation. When you do, it is only bearing the fruit of the reality that God is in you. Everybody endures to some degree. But who endures in being fruitful in every good work? Nobody, except they have this strength. Without it, we turn in on ourselves and we crumble. But with it, the the strength of Christ through the Spirit in us by faith is that we are now being rooted and grounded. Those two words are verbs, perfect, passive, which means somebody else does it, did it, and it was completed in one time completely, but they're the ongoing results. When, Paul says, having been rooted and having been grounded... When you were united united to Christ by faith. When you were born again, Christ came in you to dwell, and the expression of His indwelling presence is faith. Now what's the ongoing result of this one-time union? 
and keep going. That's the perseverance of the saints. It's the persevering grace that comes to God's people in the perseverance of the saints through faith. And so we need stability. Our Congress just passed the Respect of Marriage Act, overthrowing the Defense of Marriage Act, where that Defense Act was defining marriage as a husband, a man, and a woman. Now it's just defined as two people. And we are outraged, aren't we? But are we hypocritical? The very thing that we're outraged about in redefining marriage, and yet how many Christians don't endure the institution called marriage? I've had it. I'm quitting. And they don't endure the organism called church. I'm not being a part of church anymore. I'm not going anymore. Are we hypocrites? See, when you're rooted and grounded in love, you're enduring, chapter 4 through chapter 6, the relationships that are so hard. Marriage. I hope I'm not telling anybody that marriage is a hard thing. I just hope I'm not informing you of something new. It's a glorious thing, but it's a hard thing because you've got two sinners who are in love with themselves, partly by the grace of God, they have to be humble and fit into the roles that God gave each of them. And then there's children, and there's the role there, and then there's church life and work, and all the things that Paul unpacks. This is the prayer that bridges the gap. And so, oh, beloved, don't quit on God. What has He done? What did He do that it was wrong? Has He mistreated you? Has He saved you? Is He in you? Does He love you? Then be rooted and grounded as God is working in you and through you by faith, which expresses itself to a stick-to-it mentality. You know, that's a, that's a relic of another age, isn't it? We just don't stick to it anymore. But through grace, through this strength, we can stick to it and quit mirroring the world of this disposable society which we consume something and throw it away. We throw away the marriage... Throw away the church. Throw away everything that has brought any hardship into my life. God has purposes in them to grow us in this strength as we see something about our need, something about our desperation before God where we cry out and call upon God on bended knee and God continues to work through faith, through repentance, through confession, through sanctification. Oh, beloved, we need this strength And this strength is perseverance or endurance. And then lastly, strengthened in passion. You may be thinking, you just did that to have another P word. Partly? (laughs) Okay, I'm confessing. Just three of them. Give me another one. But what does passion mean? Love. Ardent affection. Warmth. Zeal. Passion. In the original language, you can put the word order in any order you want because the case ending defines whether it's a subject, verb, etc. You can't do that in English. So the literal word order order here is in love having been rooted and grounded. Paul wants to emphasize. Now in this purpose statement that you're putting together, here's, here's where it's going. Love 
Why love here? Enduring in love. Because likely the fruit that's growing on the rooted tree and the light that's shining in the windows of the grounded building is your love in good deeds and works that faith is working out to one another because of the promises of God. And I gave you half of a purpose statement almost right there. The light in the window of the building that's stable in persecution and tribulation. The tree that's bearing fruit and rooted when everything's blowing against it is the fruit of love. Passion and love. That the world is going, what? How are these people still loving when they're being treated so harshly? And it's so hard. Well, it's, it's not our strength, is it? It's strength according to the riches and the glory of His power. This power is for you, beloved. That's why Paul in his first prayer says, that you may know what is the exceeding greatness of His power to usward through faith. Oh, He wants us to see it, to know it. But I don't think Paul only has in mind the light in the window or the fruit on the tree. You know why? Because there's a root. It produces the fruit, and there's a foundation that keeps the lights on in the storm, right? And I think that's where Paul wants us to go. Yes, it is the, the fruit of love that you see in the good deeds, but there's a passion below the surface that if that's not there, then the fruit rots and the building starts to chip away because there is a root of endurance. Now look at the parallel again in Colossians 1.11, then I'm going to go to the Old Testament in closing. Paul again says, strengthened with all might according to His glorious power. You find that in Ephesians 3. Strength, glory, power, might. Here's the root and grounded. Unto patience and long suffering. Root and grounded, just two different words. Now here, here's the clincher. With joyfulness. There's the passion. Only when the tree in the building is delighting in the love of Jesus for us is it going to remain and persevere because the root of endurance is delight and joy in Jesus. You take away that root, building crumbles, tree rots. Mark it down. I don't have time to go through all the text, but I am going to do one. i got a couple minutes. Jeremiah chapter 17 one that we may not look at as much, but you'll immediately recognize the words because it's a parallel to uh, Psalm 1. Look at Jeremiah 17, verse 7. Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord whose hope the Lord is. This is the man that Christ is dwelling by faith and by hope. Those are, those are twin sisters. For, because, verse 8 of Jeremiah 17, he that is the man that's trusting and hoping that has this strength, he is as a tree rooted. Now this is not a building, but we're going to stick with a tree. I couldn't find a building one. Planted, rooted by the waters, and that spreadeth out her roots by the river, and shall not see when heat comes, but her leaves shall be green, and shall not be careful or anxious in the year of drought, neither shall cease from yielding fruit. So the fruit keeps growing on the tree and the light keeps shining in the window because underneath the surface, 
There's water. There's water. That faith is sucking out of the soil. <laughs> so what's the upshot? Oh, he experiences the heat and the hardship in the hard times. But the impact, it doesn't kill the fruit. It doesn't crumble the building. Why? Because of the water. And so what happens? The heat comes in the year of drought, but they're not careful, but they continue to bear fruit. That's the fruit of good works or love that we see in our text. Now, what is the source that's producing this rooted, grounded love? The fruit of love on the tree or the light in the building. Well, it's the water, right? Now, we could stay here and just go with the imagery of water all day long, but I'm going to go to Psalm 1 because Paul, or David rather, uses a different word, as you know. He gives the negative of not trusting God. Blessed is the man who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But here's the man that's trusting in the Lord whose hope the Lord is. You see the difference? Negative, blessed, what he's not doing. Positive, he's blessed, he's trusting, he's hoping. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and in His law doth He meditate day and night. He should be like a tree planted. Below the surface of the building and the tree, there is delight that is the root of endurance. In Mark 4, those that had no root in themselves were glad temporarily, but when the word came with persecution, they apostatized. Because they didn't have a genuine root of endurance, which is a gladness not surface in the things of this world, but a gladness in God that keeps the tree standing in persecution, keeps the building upright, keeps the lights on, the fruit coming. Why? Delight. How do you delight in the law of the Lord? That makes no sense to me. Until you understand what the law demands from you. And what is it? Love. The whole law is hanging on two commands. Love God and love your neighbor. Because you never love your neighbor until you love or delight in God. And of course, David, who had the Spirit in him, was delighting in the fact that the law is fulfilled. Jesus has removed the barrier of enmity between us and God with forgiveness. And Paul, David delighted in the God who loved him and gave himself for him. He delighted in the promises. He delighted in the law which was telling him about the love of God. And through delight, like water that is supplying and quenching the thirst of a tree, what happens? The fruit comes some 30, some 60, some 100. It comes when there's heat. It comes when there's problems. It comes when there's hardships. It comes when there's trials and tribulations. Why? Because we're being strengthened by His might through the Spirit. And we're being strengthened. Christ is dwelling by faith. And when He's dwelling by faith, what's happening? We're rooted and grounded in love for one another because love the passion, the affection for God that He works in us is the source that keeps the tree up. So then Paul closes, and I'm closing too. And what does he say? That you may be able to grasp 
Comprehend means grasp. With all saints. Again, I think he's talking about the saints at Heritage, right? I can't grasp this with the universal church, but I can with you. All the saints at Ephesus, all of them. What is the breadth, the length, and depth, and height, the dimensions, and to know the dimensions of Jesus' love for you? What's that going to do? What's that experience? It delights the soul. Which passes knowledge so that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. When Christ is in us, He is the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And when He's in us and we're experiencing His passion, His love, then we're being filled with the fullness of God. And so Paul knows he needs to follow this prayer with now unto Him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think according to the power, the might, the strength of the Spirit that's working in us. Unto Him be glory, be glory in through the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages. It just keeps enduring world without end. For this cause we bow our knees to the Father. And let's do that now. Father, we bow in absolute wonder at your glory and your grace that you would send Christ. Christ, that you would humble yourself and become obedient in response to the plan of God. Obedient to death, even the death of the cross. And therefore, God, you have highly exalted your Son. And we bow willingly this morning to the supremacy and the superiority of Christ And we want Christ to be seen through us as He lives in us by the power of the Spirit. So Lord, help us through humility and bowed knee, not a bowed heart, but bowing down in our hearts and receiving Your Word, Your providence, Your voice, and what You call us to be in the church, receiving that as we seek to submit and to speak and to dwell together with people that are just not like us. Lord, it's Your plan. Help us, Lord, to experience this might that's consistent with your glory, that would show your value and your worth through good deeds, by faith, when there's heat and there's difficulty and there's a corrupt government and corrupt tech companies and all kinds of evil. May we stay on target and be rooted and grounded, Lord, as we just pray this prayer of Paul to you. Bless us to be rooted and grounded in love, that the love that's hanging on the tree and the light shining is genuine because the love in our hearts is some of the dimensions of your love for us. Lord, help us to know it more. Fill us with all your fullness more and more as we look joyfully for the hope set before us. And Lord, do this work for the glory and honor of your name. We pray Paul's prayer. And all this we say in Jesus' name, amen.